Asia Tech Podcast. Voice of the Asian Tech Ecosystem. Hello and welcome to Asia Tech Podcast Stories. My name is Graham Brown. Today, we're going to talk about the future of work. We're going to talk about automation, artificial intelligence. We're going to talk about careers, the second machine age, everything. What does it mean for us? What does it mean for us as employees, as employers, as entrepreneurs? And what does it mean for society in general? That's a big question. It's many questions to help us answer those questions. I'm joined today by Bupati Rapolu, who is the author of The Race for Work. Bupati, welcome to the show. Thank you, Graham. Pleasure to be here. Well, I'm glad that you wrote this book because it's one of my favorite subjects. And there's so much involved in this subject area. We're talking about AI, we're talking about Mm -hmm. careers, we're talking about society, and we're talking about how society changes over time as well. There's a lot right. to unpack in the next 45 minutes. Maybe you can just start by helping us out a little bit, understand your background. You're from India. You're from Hyderabad originally. What's the, mm-hmm. the background and the reasoning for writing this book? Why did you write The Race for Work? So I've been uh, in IT industry uh, nearly uh, 18 to 20 years now, but uh, interesting uh, shift happened about... Uh, uh, five to six years back, you know, um, stuck in an IT uh, roles, uh, usual program management, client expectations uh, meeting and all that. Then I was I was looking for a paradigm shift uh, to scale up my career, uh, to get into leadership roles or, you know, simply to discover my next phase of life, you know, the usual uh, mm. mid, uh, midlife crisis, uh, you can say. Then I... I uh, managed to change to a, a job where it all started. So this job is around uh, building automation uh, for customers. So um, I have a bunch of uh, data scientists working with me. Wherever we go, uh, industries like uh, aerospace, transportation, medical technologies, so utilities, our job is to build machine learning tools and uh, automate business processes. So every job, uh, every project I took used to eliminate a few hundred people. Wow. Then I, 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 I started noticing this happening again and again. Then uh, what's going on here? Now what, right. What's going on to the people who are uh, being replaced uh, with uh, automation? And it is also at a very early stages. I, I, I know that the technology is not really proven but, but it's already doing its job. Uh, it is at the very primitive stages, but still, uh, when it comes to replacing people and automating, uh, setting things on auto mode, it started working. Then I, I looked at other industries, which I'm not currently looking at. It's happening uh, the same. Then I thought, uh, no, this is a serious thing, and I should really focus on it and see what, uh, how it pans out in the next five to 10 years and what to do about it. And then my personal interest in technology, I take uh, great pleasure in uh, reading uh, about technology and its impact impact on business and life. And then uh, uh, from 2015 to end of 2017, so two years it took for me to pen down uh, my thoughts in this book. And uh, along the way, uh, I I was reading at least about two to 300 books in the last five years on the subject of technology, business, and management. Mm -hmm. That all helped. So there it is. 
Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show. Yeah, that's the beginning. Go back to those projects that you were working on, Bupati, those 100 people that lost their jobs every time that you were successful in, <laughs> in creating an automation. Did those people know they were replaceable? Were they aware that this could happen? Was it a surprise to them? Well, surprise has to come uh, at some point of time. You know, they cannot be uh, caught unaware at all because initially they were not known, of course. Uh, but uh, by the time we are about to uh, commission the projects and they start uh, realizing what's happening on the ground, they come to know. And it's some of them, it's already too late for them, right? Mm -hmm. They're not prepared to take on their next careers, learn new skills, uh, find new jobs internally or externally. So uh, one such example, if I have to uh, talk about, uh, is uh, in the aviation industry. So the, the aviation industry uh, is very critical for safety point of view. So there's a lot of data being generated uh, in, in within an aircraft, and that is uh, growing exponentially over the last uh, 15, 20 years, thanks to uh, tons of sensors being embedded in the aircraft and engines. So these engines particularly are being monitored from the uh, uh, data collection point of use. So hundreds, even thousands of people are deployed, uh, mostly from uh, developing countries uh, on the offshoring model to uh, look into the uh, machine data, the data generated by uh, aircraft engines to see, identify patterns, forecast any impending problems. So then uh, our first uh, uh, job was to see if that can be automated. So then uh, we worked on that project uh, probably three, four months into it. And, and then we could actually develop uh, an algorithm, uh, a robust uh, model that could uh, do the job of uh, analyzing the aircraft engine data. And the result was staggering. Uh, earlier, four people uh, sitting for one day uh, could analyze one engine data. And then that job we could uh, do in three minutes. Wow. So whatever uh, four people into one day, that is usually eight hour a day, 32 hours of job was done in three minutes. Wow. And th those, those four people, were they skilled? Were they knowledge workers? Were they, did they have like a career doing that? Yeah, they're at least 10 years experienced in wow. this industry. They're, uh, no white collar jobs, engineers. Right. So these aren't just sort of recent graduates who could easily say, okay, fine, you know, I'll just do this job for a few weeks and I could be in. These are people no. who have a long career in analyzing yes. large amounts of data. I mean, that, that's really interesting. It's, you know, you come from India, obviously, you have a whole industry there geared towards outsourcing. I mean, you look at Tata, Tata, I mean, 400,000 right. people. Infosys is what, right. 200,000 people. Yeah. Two companies, 600,000 people. You've got Vipro, you've got all these large outsource players, what percentage of their workforce is replaceable by algorithms in at least in the next 10 years? I mean, lots of studies have been done. Uh, one such study was done by Oxford University in UK, and they predicted in UK itself, 50% of the workforce will be replaced in the next 20 years. Wow. But that number is much higher in developing world. When it comes to China or in India, it's around you know, 70, 75% of the workforce. So mm -hmm. that way, if, even if you think half a million people uh, in uh, uh, IT uh, industry from these top two, three companies, uh, I would say at least 60 to 70% of that 
uh, careers can be replaced by automation. Those are serious numbers, aren't they? So is the Absolutely. is the education system in developing countries like India, for example, because you, you know it best, is it prepared? I mean, are they training kids now to move into a world which you're writing about, or are they still training kids to become engineers who can write code or fill boxes? The traditional education system is uh, uh, clearly not prepared. Uh, I mean, the schooling system, even the higher education system. But thankfully, the generation, young generation is uh, being aware of it and they are adopting the personalized learning from massive online courses, MOOCs or uh, any kind of uh, non-traditional learning, Mm -hmm. either uh, uh, learning online or taking short-term courses. Uh, That trend has uh, significantly improved and uh, that's a welcome change. But uh, when it comes to traditional educational institutions, there's a lot to be done. Yeah, exactly. Especially in India, which will be, you know, the biggest, most populous country in the world within a matter of years. I mean, how many, well, the youngest countries as well. So you have a large number of graduates coming onto the market. And I wonder, you know, your average 20, 21 year old, I mean, you're an IIT graduate, right? Is that correct? Yes. So Institute Institute of Technology, which is one of the the top level institutions in in India. Are people coming out of IIT prepared for this? I mean, even such a high-level university or high-level institution, are they aware? Are they mentally prepared? Not not necessarily knowledge-wise, but mentally? Yeah, it's a, it's a bit tricky to answer that question. So I would say whether, they, uh, whether they're not fully exposed to the threat they are uh, you know, being undergoing at the moment, but uh, they are agile enough, flexible enough to adapt themselves because they are equipped with the right skill set. Right. Usually in IITs, what is taught is not uh, uh, not a particular subject, but the ability to learn and the ability to adapt to the society. So that way, I would keep the elite institutions, the students out of elite institutions uh, on a safer zone compared to over 90% of the rest of uh, India. Right. So if you talk about uh, entire education system, uh, IITs do not even uh, comprise 5% of population. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, when I think of those figures, if you take even your earlier figures of 70% in developing markets, I'm trying, trying to do the maths here. 70% of the workforce mm-hmm. in India must be, what, about 400 million, 500 million people? Is that right? Yes. Uh, right about Comparably, that? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, so uh, 1.3 billion people uh, uh, working population should uh, fall into that range. Yes, you're right. Yeah. So let's say 400 million people could be replaced. I mean, that's phenomenal, isn't it? I mean, we're talking about change on the level that we saw in the Industrial Revolution, but on such a bigger scale, right? It is. So if if uh, if, if you ask what's happening today, so it's hard to... uh, quantify that are hard to tell about because it's a change that is happening uh, you know, pr- uh, predictably in the next 15 to 20 years. And we are talking about 400 million people. Uh, it's uh, it's not really a losing job per se. Out of this 400 million people, whoever uh, see the threat, they may reskill themselves, uh, systematically follow uh, the change of technology and ride the wave of uh, technology. But uh, Definitely, staggering amount of people will face the heat. They 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 get it by surprise 
and uh, there is a significant upheaval uh, in in job loss mm-hmm. you know, and you know subsequent suffering obviously this is what you talk about in the book is about how to reskill because this is the key right. isn't it and it goes back to i think peter drucker who said that you know the mm-hmm. o- the only skill you'll need in the next century you know he was writing in the last century is mm-hmm. the ability mm-hmm. to learn new skills right so like Absolutely. you said like the, what they teach you at iit so how do you reskill what what do we need to be advising you know the younger generation coming through that you know what should they focus more on to make themselves irreplaceable right so it, in a single sentence uh, if i have to summarize and give uh, one line advice it is uh, uh, it's about solving problems no just mm. focus on problem solving and uh, the resources to solve problems are exponentially growing unlike what we found ourselves 100 years back today we have technological tools most of them free available online or elsewhere and they equip you more and more and uh, we need to focus on solving problems it's not about learning uh, it's not about uh, taking new courses it's about uh, understanding the problems of uh, of day to day life in the society and going ahead and doing your contribution to solve them mm. that that will take you to next stage right i'm curious about what that is because i mean i could argue that a lot of the things we thought couldn't be solved by the machines are being solved by machines i mean you take on a basic level for example translation mm-hmm. you know if mm-hmm. let's, let's say you translated english to hindi I mean, right. it, it's not perfect, but Google does a pretty good job, right, of matching those patterns up together. And you would have thought many years ago that would have taken forever, but it's happening now instantly. And now we have it, like... It's only going to improve. Exactly. It's an exponential path. You know? You'll be surprised uh, what's, what's the translation accuracy in the next five years. It, it's getting uh, it's so impressive. Uh, but you right. know, what I'm saying is that there's a lot of things which we thought were problems that couldn't be solved by machines, which are being solved by machines like at the basic level translation more more complicated challenges like scheduling you know like you have right. assistants like yes. we had on the show like ev for example which are very very uh-huh. narrow band problems aren't they they're sort of defined problems but now it's getting wider and wider right right you know the, the more complex it looks for humans the easier it becomes for ai right because okay. AI can process huge amount of data, any uh, length of logic can be put into it, and it can be automated with uh, by running the computing power, which runs on energy, not limited by an individual's energy, but any amount of energy can be fed into it. So uh, it's other way around, actually. We think that you know we are super smart, but whatever looks difficult for humans is super easy for AI. Right, right. So I guess we've got to ask what's difficult for AI, because that so, is... <laughs> What makes us valuable as humans? This is our role. What's left of us, right? Right. So it's uh, it's unfortunate and ironical. Uh, you know, if you look at the evolutionary history, uh, some of the fundamental skills, such as gross motor skills, the way we maneuver our hands, make things using our hands, uh, way we uh, balance ourselves, these were the skills that were evolved over hundreds of millions of years. Mm. Right, and it took a lot of time for uh, nature to uh, nurture these skills. Whereas the analytical skills, uh, the mental skills, were pretty new in the evolutionary history, probably a few million years 
before that uh, none of the species have these skills so uh, this is not that difficult to develop and it is easy to replicate so ai is following the same so it is actually taking over the analytical abilities uh, or uh, thinking skills first before venturing into more fundamental gross motor and fine motor skills mm-hmm. well that's not useful for us anyway in in finding a new job but that's how it is well i i wonder if there's a lot of uh, people who make brave predictions about what will become of machines in the next 10 years 20 years there's a lot of studies published and we see people like Elon Musk or Mark Zuckerberg talk about artificial intelligence some people are very positive right. some people negative about it when you look at artificial intelligence and the machine age the second machine age as you talk about it do, do you see parallels with the last machine age like the industrial revolution a, a lot the industrial revolution had you know took the human society forward but it left a lot of people behind who did very badly out of it you know people who were skilled like artisans right. you know went uh, to work uh. in factories for very cheap money and so on what are your thoughts on how this is going to turn out this is uh... i mean it is following the same trend but this is fundamentally different all along right from a uh, you know uh, from the birth of human civilization till uh, today we have been building new tools right so there are tools to improve our productivity let's say in agriculture uh, we know how to use cattle or you know some other basic man made tools in industrial age we we built machines and they improved our productivity these are all the tools that need to be used by some human so we 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 were building tools that can enhance productivity but only with the help of other humans they are not independent but first time in the history right now uh, or it's been going on now for some time we are building augmented tools the tools that do not need human support at all tools that can think and act in a situation completely outside human presence and monitoring so that way it's totally a different uh, ball game altogether mm. yeah and that's why i think some people get scared don't they because they don't know what the parameters are of this ball game that you're talking about how wide it is how much of an impact it will have upon us i mean we talk about this in the context of work and uh-huh. the future of work right and right. i i think you know for example on on a asia tech podcast recently i was joined uh-huh. by a young chap who frederick mittelstad who was building okay. an algorithm that could so it, uh-huh. it was a, an ai algorithm that could write code and i thought about that it, so if you could build ai that could actually write code if you could get that to successfully work what would that mean for all of those coders in india i mean there must be uh, several million software engineers in india do you right. think they could ever be replaced by an algorithm that i mean at least in distant uh, distant future it is uh, it's going to happen i i i have no doubts about doubts about that well well no doubts at all, all right. no yes you know in pockets it's already happened you know we heard about this recent um, uh, falcon heavy launch by elon musk the mm-hmm. biggest uh, rocket ever launched right the whole process uh, was completely run by uh, 
automation. So that was only one thing that humans had to do that day. It was clicking one mouse button. So right. he tweeted saying that the holy mouse click was clicked. <laughs> That's it. And then the rest, everything was autopilot. Right. So how the rocket takes off, what time the first uh, rocket uh, kicks out and second rocket, third rocket, and how they come back and land on, on the ground or the water. So everything was automated. Right. But a human being still had to click the mouse button. So uh, yes. I guess my question <laughs> is, is that will there ever come a time when a machine clicks that mouse button? You know, what, what kind of future would that be? Yeah, that, that's, uh, that's what we call technological singularity, which, which is uh, pretty much a scientific uh, science fiction or utopian thing uh, as on today. But uh, we, we never know. You know uh, it might happen or it might not happen. But if you see the impact it's going to create, even a few moments before that or a few days, few years before that is phenomenal. So right now we are only talking about clicking a mouse button, but the rest of the work, 99% of the work is already automated. So that itself has huge significance, impact on society, which we need to be prepared for. Right. Uh, did you talk much about singularity in the race for work or was that too, too far in the future for you? Yeah, I talked about how uh, the futurists are predicting, like Ray Kurzweil uh, talks about it, how the current technology paradigm is uh, looking uh, like, are we going to hit there in this century, next century? If it is in this century, what is the probability for hitting it in the next 20 years, 30 mm -hmm. years? I talk about that. Okay. I mean, that's fascinating, isn't it? Because I mean, I, I guess for those who are listening that don't really understand the concept of singularity, we're talking about a world where, in, in theory, human beings aren't needed, are they? <laughs> it is. <laughs> no, so it's fine. I mean, you know, it is. But I guess, so would we still be around? Would we Would we still serve a purpose? What kind of work would we do, be doing if the machines could get to a stage where they could click that button on the mouse? So there are two ways to look at it, or, or two options, I would say. First, the concept of humans uh, itself is changing. So we uh, we have changed so much uh, when uh, in, during the history. Now we the technology is almost indispensable. We depend on AI. We depend on um, collective intelligence of the entire world through. Mm. Uh, online resources, you call it Google or whatever, but uh, you still depend on it. Uh, it's only uh, currently it's external to you. We are holding it in our hand or a palm or a wrist, but it's going to get inside very soon. So then uh, do we really call ourselves humans uh, 30 years from now, 40 years from now, where you have direct access to cloud-based artificial intelligence from your mind or from your wrist or somewhere inside the body? So the transition uh, to cyborgs, I would say, is happening and it is slow and it is not distinguishable or discoverable. So uh, that way, we will be part of the game. We will, we will still uh, you know, uh, continue to exist. Uh, mm. May not be in the current form, but in some other form. That's one way to look at it. The second way is uh, finding our role, finding our... Uh, you know, uh, jobs in the economy where machines are mostly doing the job, uh, then what we see is, uh, what we left for us is actually uh, fulfilling experiences. Now, mm. people, when everything is done by machines, people still want to experience their lives. We want to enjoy uh, in the abundance. So creating experiences, 
planning experiences uh, offering experiences is one big way that is coming up coming up ahead so experience economy some of the people call it uh, that's that's one big area yeah i think i think we're 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 starting that now aren't we that we're so, we're starting to look for those human experiences that you talk about that mm-hmm. that can't be replaced by machine i think you know even the most basic version of that is you have a choice to go to mcdonald's or you have a choice Mm -hmm. to go to starbucks they both serve Mm -hmm. coffee Mm -hmm. mcdonald's is half the price of starbucks and twice as fast and it's it's a machine isn't it the whole thing's run by teenagers right yes but you go to starbucks and you pay twice as much you queue up somebody smiles, they talk to you, they write your name on the cup, all those kind of things. And you sit in a coffee shop and nobody wants you to leave and you you can just sit there all day. It's a very human experience. And I I look at that and I think, well, that can't be replaced by a machine because we can already get the machine coffee down the road in McDonald's. So if you're an entrepreneur, the question is, is, you know, how do I build my business to be AI proof in a way, you know, then right. like you said, this experience economy is, is coming. It's starting now, isn't it? That That's what people yes. need to be working towards. Yeah. So in this economy, one uh, overarching uh, suggestion or strategy is look for those, uh, look for creating those experiences for humanity rather than focusing on uh, building productivity uh, by adding more people or recruiting uh, intelligent people that can do more work. So if there is something that can be done, look for ways how technology can be used to get that done and see how a new experience can be created for humanity. Right, right. And in a way, the the technology can create a better experience, can't it? Because it can do all the heavy lifting behind the scenes of that experience and just allow us at the front end to focus on the experience, right? And not worry about, oh, I've got to write some code or I've got to look after the machine, right? So in a way, AI and the human experience can work together, right? You know, one is the machine, one's the human, right? Okay, I I want to ask... Uh, we, yeah, I just want to move on because there's a lot that I want to want to ask you about. I want to obviously ask you about Asia and how things are uh-huh. going to look in Asia in the future. But whilst we're talking about human experience, I can't forget to ask you about Benjamin. So uh-huh. I'll, I want to ask you about Benjamin because you mentioned it in your book, and I think this is really interesting. I don't think a lot of people are aware of this because I don't think people are aware of just how much AI can do. Can you tell us a little bit about the story of Benjamin? Right. So, yeah, I talked about multiple uh, stories around that. So, uh, there, there is a book written by AI. There is a uh, movie uh, shot by AI. There is a, 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 a artificial intelligence lawyer. So, these were the stories uh, I was actually looking for in the last uh, three, four years. So, uh, just to see wh- to what extent AI has improved already and where do we stand of course, this is not the universal phenomenon. Just because one uh, AI algorithm has written a book, and, uh, there are no more books needed by humans. Just because one AI has uh, shot a movie, uh, prepared a movie, doesn't mean no more movies are needed. But the capability, I wanted to demonstrate or show it to uh, uh, my audience that to what extent uh, the technology has matured. 
even in the pockets even in the you uh, know contained uh, stages so that it gives a perspective on what to do for, from our career point of view what to look for and what uh, and where to go mm-hmm. so from that perspective you know uh, right now uh, ai is able to uh, synthesize huge amount of text and uh, create uh, personalized text write books compose music you know uh, music awards have been won by uh, uh, some of the algorithms and then make movies mm. and then you know uh, be a doctor and be a lawyer right okay doctor and lawyer i, I can imagine a lot of indian listeners are going to now their ears are going to be on fire how, how can an ai algorithm really be a doctor or can it it's like the elon musk situation where somebody still has to press the button and you know can it can it completely replace a doctor's job not today not today but uh, some pockets of uh, doctors expertise yes so especially diagnosis diagnosis right. is uh, leading ahead in uh, when it comes to automation so if uh, when it comes to detecting cancer or uh, any kind of uh, uh, disease that is looming so we do usually take up a lot of tests and experienced doctors have to read through the text results and then analyze and then assess whether a particular patient is positive or negative this is where ai is really good you know it can it can uh, not only assess the test report but also correlate with thousands of millions of records across the world and accurately assess uh, the disease uh, detection process right so uh, if if you were to break that down would a traditional uh approach to understanding intelligence maybe sort of say well a lot of this is fuzzy knowledge so mm-hmm. you know you can't quantify it and, and in some ways it's just sort of instinct a gut feel for something and there's there's a lot written about this you know in terms of experience i mean malcolm gladwell writes a lot about it as well you know there's there's mm-hmm. this sort of this core domain of knowledge which you can't quantify or they we think we can't quantify is it possible that it is all quantifiable it's just that maybe we as human beings don't even understand our own sort of intelligence and it can all be broken down into you know pieces of knowledge and used by a computer well uh, actually we are not that intelligent as we think of usually so it, it is uh, so ray kurzweil predicts that by 2029 uh a uh, machine would match the complete intelligence of human and not just the memory capacity that already surpassed but uh, the ability to think uh, process information and make a judgment that mm. is for one human and he's he, he goes on to say that by 2045 uh, a single machine uh, is capable of uh, processing the entire human uh, intelligence of entire humanity so the uh, 8 billion people uh so capacity to think analyze and process well so that's not far away that's not far away and um, most of the people on the uh, living today is going to experience that right right uh, do are you think that's realistic is that yeah. conservative is that aggressive in terms of prediction are you sort of on the same line wavelength with caswell on that so again i see that it's going to happen in some or other form it is not going to be surprising uh, completely because the way we looked at in the last 20 years uh, when no no uh, world was disconnected 
to a world today it's hyper connected and ability to communicate pass on the message anytime in a fraction of seconds that's a, that itself is a huge change so from that perspective a computer or a particular machine can be capable of processing or ability to think and analyze uh, comparable to the entire humanity can exist but its impact or it may not uh, do some of the things that we do i was talking about the gross motor and fine motor skills that you know clicking mm-hmm. a mouse button things like that so that way it may not overtake us but i i think you know one of the things that you sort of point out in the book is that it's more advanced than a lot of people realize in, in obviously you give the examples of writing music and you know replacing a lot of the diagnosis in you know a, a doctor's job for example right let's put it to the test i mean could could a machine or an algorithm write the race for work and do a better job than you that's i think is uh, fairly easy yes, that can be that can be done it's a single subject right so what is difficult right. is uh, understanding multiple subjects you know from biologies to astronomy to probably uh, and technology and then uh, correlate analyze synthesize so if it is uh, if something needs to be synthesized written in one subject uh, it's fairly easy and uh, uh, that can be done very soon so with the subject like the race for work it it may sound like a singular subject but it incorporates a lot of other subjects as well i mean you've got to talk about history in there as well and you've got to talk about the right. creative arts yeah. and so on so you know it could be possibly thousands of subjects right you know rather than a specific technical yeah. book that you written. so uh, uh, the pockets of information within the book uh, can be synthesized by written uh, and written by an ai so that's why i said you know just because a has written one book doesn't mean that no more opportunity for rest of the authors in the world to write book it, right. we are not there yet but one of the the part one of the the inputs on your book was you went out and you interviewed spent time with 100 c level executives and talked about the future of work mm-hmm. right what is the options there for a machine can they do that would they have to do that or would they just sort of like you say synthesize the intelligence of humanity yes right now uh, audio synthesis and then uh, uh, real time speech to text uh, and then to some extent making sense out of it preparing summary is that all uh, there you know there are a lot of tools available and competitive competitive startups are doing that job but uh, uh, interpreting the future uh, and talking about the impact on humanity that is uh, that is still a creative realm and uh, ai is not there yet right and would it know i mean i, I what i'm trying to get to is the is there a sort of a pocket of human knowledge which is not in some form you know it replaceable by an algorithm because that's the pocket we need to move towards and like we talked about clicking the button on the mouse we took mm-hmm. some aspects of being a doctor as well the human experience as well but what about deciding to write that book you you decided to write that book because you thought people needed to read it and hear this message could a machine right. how would the machine know that it should write this book because it needs yeah. a personal you, you hit, history right and all of that right yeah you hit the nail actually so that that is exactly 
a place left for humans and i i don't think ai is going to take up anytime soon until we get uh, until we hit the singularity that's what we call singularity where you no know, ai can decide anything uh, that humans can possibly decide so that is solely left for humans so it is uh, it's about creativity and decision making these are the two things uh, creativity again you know, we need to define that so in a contained space uh, ai can be much more creative than a human for example if you have to uh, design uh, a particular uh, piece of art or design a particular uh, object then ai can be much better than a human but uh, life is so complex and if we have to come up with creative solutions creative ideas for overall humanity and the life ai uh, is not so good at uh, good at it so creativity and uh, decision making is solely left for humans from that perspective mm. decision making it that's Definitely. so you know in talking about the future of work that's where the value is isn't it because if you know if a whole generation of workers coming into the the marketplace are, are faced with losing their jobs because of machine you know and algorithms they have to work out how do i make more decisions how do i get into a job where I, I can make decisions that can't be replaced by a machine, right? So, absolutely. you know, what kind of jobs are those going to be? I mean, how do they get more experience in that? You know, where do they start? I mean, if that's, that's the goal that we need to be heading towards, you know, where do we, yeah. how do we need to get towards that goal? Right. So it, in fact, uh, it's not a different world. It's not out there that we cannot reach there. It's right here. In, in, currently in every job that we do, we we need to look at it from the perspective of solving problems and using technology to uh, get things done so uh, if you if you start looking at it from that perspective you you start realizing new opportunities and you you can do much more than what is currently being done so uh, our regular day to day problems can be either solved by current means by deploying more people more money or can be creatively solved by using available technology automation right so that's that's one aspect of uh, doing that and in that process you start taking more uh, decisions you you start going to be you start you start uh, using your creativity that changes your career path altogether and if you start doing it uh, and then you know see uh, after 5 years 7 years where you end up so that will uh, take your career to your career to a new heights rather than just applying your uh, current resources to get the job done great advice let's sort of finish up by taking what you just said at the end there about more people more resources and available technologies and put that into context of asia obviously this mm-hmm. is asia tech podcast we've talked a lot about india right. uh, there's a lot happening in asia in ai obviously ai it has a sort of you know uh, uh, people think about you know boston dynamics or maybe they think about stanford university these are traditional centers of r&d for ai mm-hmm. but there's a lot coming mm-hmm. out of asia at the moment especially you know in china and obviously there's a lot right. of you know, there's a lot of potential in india as well they have that choice, right. don't they? they? More people, more money. They've, they've got as much as you want to throw at the problem, haven't you? And now they have the technologies as well. 
there's a lot happening in India. I mean, in Asia, can you sort of give us a feel for the listeners, maybe outside of Asia, why they should pay attention to Asia in terms of the future of work and artificial intelligence and so on? What was coming out of here, which is really interesting right now? Yes. So in terms of uh, skills, competencies, and even outcomes, uh, Asia is uh, not at all inferior compared to the Western world. In fact, uh, there is a widespread apprehension uh, I see in the Western circles that China may take over on AI anytime soon. Mm. Uh, India is also uh, a, uh, an interesting place. A uh, lot of AI startups and a lot of activities going on. So in the short term, Economies of scale may favor towards deploying more people or uh, getting human endeavor, human effort to uh, get things done. But that will change very soon, probably in the next 10 to 15 years, uh, uh, it, it may take to catch up uh, with the Western world. But then the rules of the game remain constant or applicable equally across the world. So. Uh, Asia, uh, at the, uh, while it is uh, focusing on building, uh, leveraging technology for automation uh, and should equally focus on how to plan for their uh, people's careers or jobs, how to protect them, because the impact is uh, greater in Asia compared to the developed, uh, developed countries. Mm, exactly, because we have markets of billions here, obviously. Right the impact as well younger markets importantly so yes a lot of people with less experience and there's a lot of technology coming out of asia which a lot of people aren't really sort of familiar with there there seems to be every time i look at you know uh, forbes or one of the western publications there's an article about china and facial recognition Mm -hmm. you know and Mm -hmm. it's always pushing this image which i think is pushing the the button inside us of like that fear of the big brother the dark side of humanity in in asia and china that this big sort of police state run by facial recognition is taking over are you positive about the future i mean what, what is your take are you are you sort of balanced or what's your sort of thoughts on artificial intelligence and here in asia i don't think that does not being uh leveraged in western world no the technology is uh, is unstoppable uh, it's nobody it's in nobody's control uh, no uh, even nations can't stop the growth of technology uh, as long as we are divided nations you know 200 odd countries and uh, each individual nation can choose to work on a technology and produce something once it is developed then it is uh, it is uh, uh, open right anybody uh, nobody can avoid it they just want to have it uh, just to ma- uh, maintain the balance of power so that way even in western uh, or developed countries uh, you are being scanned for example in london uh, when i start from my home and i reach the office my face is scanned at least 10 times mm. there are so many cameras everywhere and that information is not blatantly being uh, released to public but it is being used and uh, and it is uh, used when uh, when it is appropriate. For example, if there is a security compromise, if there is any uh, threat to the society, that information is being used. So it's not that only in China, uh, government is uh, using uh, personal information for uh, you know uh, for government motives. Mm-hmm. So there may be imbalance in the way 
the information uh, is being used but the fact that you are being scanned your information is out there uh, is uh, uh, real and it's going to be there even more every behavior or you no know, human behavior and the circumstances humans get into are being digitized and they are going to be processed by ai across the world and it's already started it's already happening so it, it's up it's happening as you say like the example in london just goes to show it's in london as much as it is in shenzhen or beijing so yes you know i think more about it says more about the media and how they talk about yes. ai rather than the reality right and and that must be you know i'm sort of finishing on that talking about your book is how do people react to that are people do you find the media sometimes a little bit suspicious of this subject where you talk about it i i haven't uh, seen uh, thankfully so much uh, negativity on the book so the, uh, most of them acknowledge the fact that there is uh, an impending threat to jobs but people do not really see the impact of it you know, uh, people see that okay this is a growing fad or a, a topic of the, uh, uh, discussion but uh, what to do about it how do we change uh, how do we change our perspective can i do something on the ground today and the next 3 months do i see change in my career or outlook or, or my uh, aspiration i i find it difficult to instill that urgency uh, in the people even the people who are actually suffering uh, from this already yeah that's really interesting that last part about the urgency i think those that get it get it and those that don't don't and i think yes. your your book is for those that want to know because there's exactly. a lot of people out there who who understand there's change how do i navigate that change because everybody else is the heads are in the sand aren't they you you can't do anything about those people but for those who want to right. know that's why you have the book hey bubuti it's been fantastic speaking to you really interesting exciting area that you're writing about inspirational coming and sharing your 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 journey with the book with us today on Asia Tech podcast really enjoyed that and i think you know your your the subject area you're writing about as you as you said is that you know you might not be able to instill the urgency in some people but for those people who have that urgency go and get yourself a copy of the race for work by bubuti rapolo we'll put the details in the show notes all about how to escape automation transform your career and thrive in the second machine age. Bupati, fantastic having you on the show today. Thank you Graham. Glad yeah. to be here. Yeah, and come back as Thank well when so you have yeah, when you when you write your next book or you discover an algorithm that writes your next book, <laughs> then please come back on the show and share it with us. Sure. Thank you so much for that. You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show.